So I want to tell you uh, a weakness that I have, and maybe you have it too, I don't know. Um, what I find in life is that there's a couple of things that we have to do. Like we have tasks before us, right? And then there's the part of relationships, and we, we do both, right? So here's what I do. I default more towards task accomplishment than relationship deepening. I don't know about you, but, you know, you know how that goes. So, so you have a task. Um, you need to uh, take your son or your daughter to uh, the ball game and the, get them there on time. And get, but, but you don't use that as an opportunity to deepen your relationship with your son and daughter. You don't see it as an opportunity. It's a task to be completed. You can do that with your wife. You can go out to dinner and talk about things that are important, tasks that you need to do. But you don't really talk about how are you doing, how am I doing, you know, relationships like that. And what I find is, and maybe you find this tr- true in your life, is uh, when you're like me and you tend to, to say it just drives you nuts when the task isn't finished. You know, finish the task, check it off. And then you realize, but I wasn't really with the people that I could have been with. And on my deathbed, I would really... It really wouldn't matter whether I got the task done, but it would matter that I wasted that opportunity to be with those people, whether it's my family or friends or whatever. And so sometimes I can get caught up in accomplishing tasks, but I miss out on the relationships. Now, why is that important? Because I think relationships are in trouble today. I think marriages are in trouble. I think marriages in Hope Church are struggling, just like marriages are struggling all over Dubuque and all over the United States. I think those relationships are struggling. Why? Because we're not putting, we're, we're, we're together and we're doing tasks together, but we're not together. We're with our children doing tasks, but we're not building relationships with our kids. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about. I want to go through the book, you know, and I don't have a lot of time to do it, but I want to look at the book of Proverbs and I want to look at the, the, the relationships. And it really, it was laid out, Paul lays it out in the book of Ephesians where he talks about the husband-wife relationship, and the parent-child relationship. So I want to look at those two relationships. And I just want to just glean a little bit from the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Is what does it have to say about a husband-wife relationship? What does it have to say for, about a parent-child relationship and then a child relating to a parent? Because those are three critical relationships, and there's more that it talks about. But those are the three that I want to look at. So uh, let's begin. Let's jump in. Um, if you go to page 494 of your chair Bible... Uh, you'll be at the first proverb that I'm going to read. And it, this is, this is an, under the, uh, the topic of husbands and wives. Now, I'm not going to say everything that I could possibly say about that. I'm just going to glean a few things from the book of Proverbs. We'll look at those. We'll kick those around. And hopefully they will be helpful. The proverb I want to read is Proverbs 18.22. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. So when we think of, we think of a marriage ceremony, and I, I do this all the time with young people that are getting married, uh, the key moment of any wedding ceremony is when the husband and the wife, they, they share their vows with one another. And what are vows? Those are promises. I promise that I will do this. Well, I promise I'll do this. Well, I promise I'll do this. Well, I promise I'll do... It doesn't go that way. It would actually be more interesting in a wedding if they did it that way. But they basically make vows, and vows are not feelings. Uh, I always say to the people that I'm counseling, don't, if you want to write your vows, that's great. Don't bring me, oh, I, the first time I saw your eyes, that's not a vow. 
That's a reaction. And, and frankly, that's not uh, what we're talking about. Um, well, there you go. Played with it too much. Um, vows are uh, promises to be tender, con- considerate, loving, forgiving, faithful in the future. And, and that's the key. Faithful in the, un, in the future under any condition. Because you know the vows, they say, in sickness and in health. <laughs> you know, when you, when you have a lot in the bank and you don't have anything, you know, till death. <laughs> well, that's, pretty, that's a pretty solid commitment. So marriage is really a covenant. Uh, it's not just a declaration of our current love. Uh, it's a promise of the future that I am committed to you. I, I don't know what the future holds, but I know this, I'm committed to you. That's, that's what vows are. Let me read you a couple more Proverbs. This is Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. I love that phrase. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer grace and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Um, so this is talking about how this, this love begins and there's this, this physical attraction and there's this desire to be together and then if you go down to uh, proverbs chapter 2 verse 16 it says this wisdom will save you from the immoral woman well what do we know about the immoral woman from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman she has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before god now it's interesting because that second verse is talking about a woman who basically is a seductress, somebody who is trying to pull somebody out of a relationship. And basically it says, and she's left her husband to do this. Now, the Hebrew word for husband here means her friend, her friend. In other words, the the, the proverb says she left her friend, her husband. Um, And this means something, this is really important. It means that your, your, your marriage partner needs to be your lover, and your best friend, your most intimate and best friend. And so you need to marry for love and friendship for both, not one or the other. And that's really important. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that has turned marriage from a covenantal relationship where you make a promise and say, I don't know where the future is going, but I know I'm going there with you. And it doesn't matter whether uh, it's a rainy day or a sunny day, I'm still with you. Uh, from a covenant relationship to a consumer relationship. So what's a consumer relationship? Well, we all do it because we live in America, and we are the most consumer-driven culture probably ever. And consumer-related, it's like this, where you find a restaurant. They have good prices, great food, great service, easy parking. The people are nice. You sit down, you have a great meal, and you go, I really like this place. Let's come back again. And you just continue to do that. Or you find a grocery store that's convenient and they have the kinds of brands that you want. They have the food. They always have what you need. The people are courteous. The prices are good. The parking is good. So you say, that's our grocery store. So you have this consumer relationship. And that's when you say, uh, but now, if, if the restaurant basically stops serving good food because a cook changes or something like that, or chef, sorry, uh, or if you have uh, 
you, you know, you have a problem with uh, the, the, the people serving you or you go to the grocery store and they no longer carry products and the prices seem to keep going up. Uh, it's under new management or something like that. Uh, you may say, you know, let's find another store. Let's find another restaurant. Let's find another uh, store to shop in because we're consumer driven. And that's just the way Americans are. It's not good or bad. It's just kind of how we are. So a consumer relationship is when you say in a marriage, I'll be your spouse or I'll be the spouse I should be to the degree that you be the spouse you should be for me. Okay. And it goes the opposite way. And that goes and says this. If you're not the spouse I need you to be, then I'm not going to be the spouse that you need me to be. And so what we have done in marriage many times is we've turned it into a consumer relationship. And it goes like, I'll be there for you as long as you're there for me. As long as you're giving to me and doing what I need you to do for me, I'll be there. But if you stop doing that, uh, we have a problem. And that's, that's what many people do in their marriages. They say, I'll love you if, when, because, but I may not love you tomorrow. Remember that song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Well, today it's like, no, I don't know, maybe. I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, right? On the other hand, a covenantal marriage relationship says, I'm going to be your spouse. I'm going to be the spouse you need me to be no matter what you do. Because it has nothing to do with your behavior to me. That's not the commitment I'm making. I'm not making a commitment based upon what you're doing for me or to me. I'm making a commitment, period, and it's before God. See, my commitment's not dependent on your behavior. It's based upon my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, why, why would that make a difference? Because when we understand that Jesus fully committed his life to us, he gave everything for us. He's... Do, is marriage uh, a relationship where there needs to be sacrifice, give and take? Absolutely. What did Jesus do? He gave his life. Is marriage a relationship where there needs to be ongoing, constant uh, forgiveness? Absolutely. What did he do for you? Forgave me all my sins. When I deserved it? When I was looking for it? When I was being a good person? When I repented? No. No. Um, sacrifice. Is, marriage a, is sacrifice a part of marriage? Absolutely. So, so in a sense, what we're seeing here is we're seeing that when I begin to see my relationship with God and what he's done for me, and I realize my commitment is not just to my wife or to my husband, but to God, now it changes everything because, because I can no longer say, I'll never forgive you. You don't deserve it. Because I, I remember I didn't deserve it. He doesn't love me because I'm lovely he doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't become unfaithful because I'm faithful. He is faithful even when I'm not. He doesn't say, well, you're lovely. He says, I'm going to love you and with the point that you will become lovely. And that's why I think one of the most powerful verses for husbands is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. It says, husbands, love your wives. <laughs> it's a high watermark here. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If you, have you as a husband ever saw your role as to help your wife become 
what God designed her to be, because that's your role. That's your primary role as a husband. And when you step into a marriage and you realize that's a very sacred role, then you understand that. And, and, and Jesus says, well, the example is me, how I love the church, my bride. And so when you begin to love your wife as I love the church, you're, you're starting to understand the commitment, the covenantal commitment I'm talking about. So this quote has been uh, used quite a bit, and I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. And he's kind of talking about what is it to be in love, you know, that, oh, I'm in love, you know, <laughs> but now I'm not. But I'm in love, but now I'm not. Today I'm not, and tomorrow, you know, today I am, and tomorrow I may not be. But then he describes another kind of a deeper love. So let me read this to you. He says, being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. Knowledge can last, principles can last, habits can last, but feelings come and go. And in fact, whatever people say, the state called being in love usually does not last. But of course, ceasing... To be in love need not mean ceasing to love. In other words, just because you don't feel like you're in love anymore doesn't mean you can't remain loving or in love. Love, in in this second sense, love is distinct from being in love. It's not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by will and deliberately strengthened by habit, reinforced by, in the Christian marriages, the grace of which both parties ask and receive from God. They can have this love for each other even at the moments when they don't like each other. And he he says this, as you love yourself when you don't like yourself. They can retain this love even when each would easily, if they allowed themselves, be in love with someone else. Being in love first moved them to promise fidelity, this quieter love enables them to keep the promise. It is, uh, it is on this love that the engine of marriage is run, run. Being in love was the explosion that started it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. So if you're, if you're married, think about your role in that marriage. Have you been treating the marriage as a consumer mentality relationship? Or have you said, no, there's a, there's a covenant relationship going on, and unless I have the power of God, I, can, I cannot love my wife or my husband the way I do. I can't forgive them the way I should. Because the minute that you just say they don't deserve to be forgiven, they don't deserve me to sacrifice, we just say, I'm glad Jesus didn't say that about me. All right, parents and children. So there's, there's kind of a, a wide berth. And, you know, there's kind of a continuum of parents out there today. And some parents believe that the main goal of parenting is to control your children, to get them to obey, to get them to... And by the way, um, there's a difference in a parent relationship between using power and influence. Power means you tell them, you need to go to bed now or I'm going to give you a spanking. <laughs> That's power, right? Uh, influence is they do it because... They don't want to discourage you. They respect you. They uh, obey you out of respect, and, and they show that. And there's a difference. So some parents believe the main goal of parenting is controlling. Some parents believe the main goal of, of parenting is love and affirmation. Now, to a certain extent, they're both right. But usually it goes one extreme to, or the other extreme. 
what the book, what the book of Proverbs says is the main goal of parenting is to make your children wise. Okay? So that your job as a parent is not just to control them. It's not just to affirm them. It's to make them wise. Notice Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22. This is on page 497. Proverbs 23, 22, page 497. Notice what it says. Listen to your father who gave you life. And don't despise your mother when she is old. Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. The father of godly children has cause for joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. So the main job of a parent is to teach your children what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, and what is wise and unwise. That's the main job of a parent. Uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 3, verse 11, page 482 says this. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. So here's what I think a balanced approach to parenting is. If you have a mother and father who have a clear understanding of right or wrong, good or bad, wise or unwise, and they consistently uh, they live consistently to those values and they direct your life accordingly they've done a good job if you have those kind of parents and notice one critical part of parenting uh, you know a, a, a critical part maybe you missed this he basically says does your son or daughter know that you delight in them Notice it says the last part, verse 12, because we would get caught up in the whole discipline part of this. But notice the last phrase. This is the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Do your children know that you delight in them? I think that's a huge problem today within families. I don't know that that the children understand that you are disciplining them, but you are doing it, but you delight in them, and they know that you delight in them. And, and that's such an important part. Uh, the critical part of parenting, I think, is that they delight in you, and you delight in them. So the question is, do you delight in your children, and do they know it? Do they wake up every day knowing that they have parents, a parent, someone in their life that delights in them? And maybe you're here and you say, I've never had that in my life. As an adult, I don't, I've never had that in my life. And that has affected you, and it still affects you today. Good parents hold values. They live according to those values. They express their delight in their children, and they correct them in an appropriate manner. And that's what we want to talk about just for a minute. Notice uh, Proverbs 22.15, page 496. Proverbs 22.15. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it away, far away. Some of your translations may be a rod or something like that will drive it away. So Proverbs tells us something very interesting about children, something we already know about children, something that children might repel when they hear it. But children are basically filled with foolishness. 
They are. They're naturally unwise. They're generally selfish. They don't understand how other people feel. Um, Their life would be a disaster if you didn't intervene on a regular basis in their lives. Because they don't get it. They're not mature. They're not at that level. So what is the tool? Our translation says, or the translation we read says physical discipline. Other translations say the rod of discipline. Now what does this mean? The word discipline is very common in the book of Proverbs. And it, it really means to coach. It really means to coach. Instruction and discipline. The word rod, though, is a little different. You know, the problem is, we, it's, it, the word rod in, in the book of Proverbs is so nuanced, we generally think of a stick or a switch or something like that. And that's how we, we think about it. So usually the big debate that, that comes up when we come to Proverbs is, should I spank my children or not? In fact, we were visiting my, one of my sons and the pastor got up. He was a younger guy. I don't even know if he had children that were old enough to be uh, disciplined uh, with a spanking or whatever. But he made a big, you know, he did a, a long, long sermon on it. And I thought, I think that misses the point of what Proverbs is saying. Proverbs is saying the most important thing your children need to know, do, know is that you have set boundaries for them and you delight in them. We don't do that work. We just say, oh, they're not doing what they should. Let's get a stick and, you know, whatever, spank them or whatever. And, you know, this idea of, of, of a switch or a stick or a rod, um, it can have that meaning of a stick, but it's not always used that way. Here's what I found. And, and before you think, well, what do you know? Well, I don't know much. I have five boys. My youngest one is 18 years old, and uh, it's been a ride. It has absolutely been a ride. I have no idea what to do with girls, but I tell you what, boys, they're, they're different. And every one of my boys is different. Every one of them is different. Every one of them is different. And here's what I found. Sometimes my boys needed a swat on the butt, and sometimes they needed an arm around the shoulder. And you've got to learn the wisdom of when they need what. And oftentimes, we're not taking the time to build, like I began, relationship with them to get to know their hearts. Are they rebelling or are they just being dumb boys? That's hard to do. But when you begin to understand that, then you begin, and you begin to understand that each one is different. One of the things that my mom used to drive me nuts is she'd start yelling at me about my brother. And I said, I'm not my brother. I didn't do that. I've never done that. Why are you yelling at me? But see, that's what we tend to, we can tend to do. Every child is different, and good parents become experts on what their child needs. And it takes time in building the relationship with each of your children. However you do that, do it. And you know what? If I could go back, I would spend tons more time in that area. Tons more time. We come to one of the verses that's often used when we talk about children and parents. Proverbs 22.6. And it says, Direct your child in the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And I believe what this proverb is saying is, you as a parent, your job is to help your child, place your child on the path of wisdom, and help them to walk the path of wisdom. That's really what this proverb is saying. 
that good parents use the best methods and co- of coaching and discipline for that particular child to help them to grow in wisdom, knowing right for, from wrong and good and bad. And when we do use discipline, it's always done in love. And, and, it's, and, and the child is confident that you delight in them. And that, I can't, I can't, I can't express that as forcefully enough. If your child doesn't understand that you delight in them, you have, you have not done your work in building a relationship with that child. And we, we don't do it. We, like I said, it's easy for us to get caught up in the task of parenting. And in the end, relationship is key. Some of you are here, and I know you're thinking, but I had lousy parents. I had awful parents. I, I don't even know who my parents were. I, I, you know, I, I, and I want to say this. If a parent had no standards of right or wrong, they, left, they lived inconsistently, they showed contempt rather than delight for you, they, uh, they, set, and they set you up, and they set, parents like this set their kids up for disaster. How do you relate to your parent when you've when you got a bad parent? Because they're out there. By, by the way, half of you are not good parents. I mean, 50% of you are below average. Whether you like to think of it or not, you just are. And that's just statistically true. You know, I, no, sorry, you're going to walk out and argue. You can. Ask your kids, they'll tell you. <laughs> I won't ask my kids. <laughs> well, we'll give you a 58, you know, whatever. So the last relationship I want to talk about is, so we've talked about a husband and wife. Delight in her. Um, She needs to be your lover. She needs to be your best, most confident friend. You need to love her unconditionally and love him unconditionally. It's a covenant relationship. It's not. It's. It, it, and then we come to children and parent and children, and we say, "Yes, your job is to raise them to be wise and to be on the path of wisdom, and to let them know that you cherish them and use the proper technique, the coaching, whatever that looks like, that you help them to stay on the path. That's the goal. And by the way, let me just say." To some of you parents who did that, and your parents, your, your kids, the wheels have come off in their lives. Every child, every person has their own will. And you don't get to choose the choices they make. And you, so, so that's hard. That's really hard. So children to parents, let me read a couple of verses here. What do you do? When you're dealing with trying to relate to bad parents. Because maybe, maybe that's your situation. You grew up in a home and you had really lousy parents. Or your parents were never there. Maybe your parents are dead. And, and you can't, there's nothing you can do to, to resolve the tension there. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. And don't despise your mother when she is old. If you, this Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20, on page 495. If you insult your father or mother, your light will be... Notice this. Think about this, because we're going to talk about this. 
If you insult your father or mother, your light will be snuffed out in total darkness. The one thing that the whole Bible says and Proverbs says all through it, and it doesn't, it doesn't say if you have good parents, if you have wonderful parents, if you have supportive parents, you know, honor them. It doesn't say that. It says you honor your parents whether they're good or bad. You just honor them. You honor your parents. In fact, that's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Honor your mother and father. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, it's still binding today. Honor your parents. Um, so that's the one thing that, that, that the Scripture is very clear about. The Bible doesn't say you must love them. It really doesn't. You have a hard time finding where it says love your parents. It says honor your parents. It doesn't say... Because think about that. If you have a parent that's really a bad and abusive parent, how are you going to do that? You can still honor them. We'll talk more about that. It doesn't say admire them. It doesn't necessarily say to trust them. Uh, some parents are not trustworthy. Some parents are just uh, scoundrels. They really are. Um, but you are, set, you are told to honor your parents. Um, so let me, let, me, let me give you three applications, and then I'll tie this up with the whole honor the parents and what that means, what it looks like. So there's three applications, and each one deals with these three relationships, husband, wife, parent, child, child, parent. First one is this. Uh, if you're married, keep your covenant with your spouse. You made a covenant when you shared vows. Keep your covenant with your spouse. It may be they're in a bad place, and you want to throw in the towel. What do you do? You remember that Jesus keeps his covenant with you, even though you, and if you're honest, you have been an unfaithful spouse to him. You have lied. You have cheated. You have let him down. You have been an unfaithful spouse to him. And yet he says, I will never leave you. I will always be there for you. So remember that. Because he believes there still is hope for you. And he will hang in there with you. In other words, the way that you keep your, your vow, your covenant with your spouse, is you remember the one who keeps covenant with you. Even though you break the covenant maybe daily. Even though you're not a good spouse. Even though you're in a bad place. Because you know why? He knows there's still hope for you. And he knows that your heart can turn. And he, he is working to bring you to be the spouse that you need to be. Number two, some of you may be sitting here and you thought, I just go to weddings all the time and I just wish, when am I going to get married? I just want to be married. I'm lonely. What about me? When will I find somebody to love me? Here's the thing. If you are thinking that you can only be happy by being in a marriage relationship, you're setting yourself up for an absolutely disastrous marriage. You are. Because what are you saying? You're saying, I am a needy person, and only a human being can fill this need that I have, and until that need, and, and when I get into that marriage, I am absolutely going to take whatever I can to fill whatever void and emptiness I have in my life. You're going to be a bad marriage partner because you're going to be so needy. You'll never be a good marriage partner if you come into a marriage asking the other person to be your source of significant satisfaction 
and, 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 uh, and uh, security. You'll never do that. You, you know, you're, what you're doing is you're basically saying, uh, you're asking another human being to be what only God can be in that marriage. So the minute that you say that, you say you basically are setting yourself up for disaster. Here's what you need to do. You need to remind yourself that there's only one person in the universe who can give my soul what it longs for, and he's waiting for me. Now, the problem is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Some of us would say, I'd rather, deal, I'd rather be in a really bad marriage than really trust that. I want to tell you something. When you come into a marriage and you say, I am not looking for you to give me security or significance or satisfaction. I already have that. Now you have something to contribute. Now you're bringing something into the marriage. And some powerful things can happen. All right, so what about those of you who say, I have bad parents. I haven't spoken to them. I can't speak to them, whatever. They may be alive. They may be dead. And some of you need to forgive your bad parents. The question is why? (laughs) Because it says that if you insult them and you don't honor them, your light will be snuffed out into total darkness. Now, what does that mean? That sounds pretty dire, doesn't it? It seems pretty dark. It seems like, whoa, man, that's just... What is he saying? What is the proverb saying? When you don't honor your parents, you destroy yourself. You do. You destroy yourself. You destroy them by not forgiving them. Why? Because when you don't forgive somebody, you're not hurting them. You're hurting yourself. You're destroying yourself. Your light is going out. You become bitter. You become hard. You become difficult in relationships. See, the point is this. As good or bad as your parents may be, you were never... you, You have to come to a place and say... Even if you have good parents, you have to say, you never were. I mean, when you're a little baby, you are my sole source of satisfaction, significance, and and, and security. You are that. But you know, as I grow up, one of the ways you honor your, your parents is you say, you're no longer that for me. Now I have God in my life. And God is my sole source of security, satisfaction, and significance. And so but you honor them by moving away. You honor them by taking your own life uh, and being independent. So, you say to your parents, you were my complete source of significant security and, and satisfaction. Uh, n- but now I have Jesus and I'm free to move out. I'm free to forgive uh, you. And I'm free, uh, I'm free not to overneed you. I'm free to honor you. And you, honor, you can honor even bad parents because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm no longer going to allow your bad behavior to control me because I have a Father in Heaven who loves me unconditionally. It's that transfer that's so critically important. In other words, what the writer is saying is if you're holding grudges against bad parents and you just have this angst within you, you need to release it because it's just going to destroy you and put your, your, your light out, your life out. It's going to snuff your life out. So Proverbs has a lot of wisdom for us, doesn't it? Talks about what is a what is a relationship? What should a relationship with a husband and wife be? What are the critical key points in a marriage? And and you're, as you're raising children, um, it's difficult. It's hard. And and so many times 
there, I remember all the different times, the stages of parenting we went through, and it just seemed like there was always so many tasks at the beginning of the day. And I wondered sometimes, as I think back, did I spend time with them? You know, did I, did I spend time with them? And now with Carol, you know, one of the things I'm doing now, and Carol and I this summer will be married for 35 years, and um, she's finally figuring out that she didn't really marry a saint, and I think she's troubled by that, but not much she can do about it now. But one of the things that I started doing a few years ago, I did it today too, um, She's, I, I just decided that it's really important for me to take the moments I have with her and with my kids. And that's why my grandson Jeremiah is going to have his birthday tomorrow. So after Roshek, I'm heading to Iowa City to be with, with them. And, you know, uh, you say, well, we do that. Well, good. I'm glad you do that. But here's the thing. I'm realizing all the moments that I lost that I didn't take advantage of. So I'm at a point now where I'm saying, I don't care how far I have to drive. I don't care how much difficult it is. If I can spend time with her, with Carol, with my, with my boys, with my grandson, with, that's the most important thing I can do with my time. And I wish that it dawned on me because I'm so busy knocking tasks off and you would look and say, well, he's a pretty good father. You know, he, you know, he takes care of the kids and, you know, helps out and all that stuff. But you know what? In retrospect, I would have done things different. I wouldn't have worried so much about the task. And I would have been more concerned about the journey. Right? So, some of you are younger parents. Enjoy the journey with your kids. And it will go by a lot quicker than you think. But you will always look back. And you will always say, I'm glad I invested in them. I'm glad I spent time with them. Because we live in a world that just says, get it done, get it done, get it done. Stop. Call a timeout. Find out how they're doing. Enjoy the relationship. Stand with me. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for putting people in our lives because we desperately need them. For putting families around us. And some of us, Father, may have been in bad families. Help us to work through the emotions and the feelings and the struggles that we've had along those lines. We also ask, Father, that uh, the marriages that are represented here, that you would help them to uh, maybe renew their commitment with one another, to understand the vows they made, and to take whatever steps they need to take to help themselves grow together in love. Father, help our children to know that we delight in them. And uh, help us, Father, to re- remember there is only one that can fill our, our needy, empty soul with satisfaction, significance, and security. And that's you.
So may the Spirit of God take something from your word and, and change us fundamentally as parents, as children, as spouses. For your glory we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.